Hey, you're listening to the Talking Tough podcast, brought to you by Dr. Martins and hosted by me, Georgia Moot. I'm a model and presenter from London, and on this podcast, I'll be talking all things tough with our guests, covering important subjects including body positivity, diversity, mental health, and sexuality. Hope you enjoy. So today on Talking Tough, we are joined by Gina Martin. Gina is an activist and a writer. She started a campaign in 2017 to make upskirting a sexual offence, which came to fruition in April of this year. And she's also published a book about activism entitled Be the Change, a toolkit for the activist in you. So Gina, welcome. Thanks for having me. Um, so I was wondering if you could we could start by you sort of telling us a bit about yourself. Yeah, of course. Where had you come from? So I guess now I'd describe myself as a writer and activist. That label sort of came around just because of the campaign and I had to say I was something. It's hard to explain. I mean, activism isn't a job. It's like a passion thing. But if you don't say you're an activist, you're just like someone who makes people angry and changes things, which isn't a job. So I'm a writer and activist. Um, and I started activism in 2017, but I've been a freelance writer for like six years. Um, and I just left, well, not just, but this year, I actually left my full-time job because I was working on full-time while I was campaigning. So now I'm full-time activism Woo! and writing, which is joy. So your campaign all started in 2017 mm-hmm. when you were at a festival and you caught a man taking pictures up your skirt, which is really disgusting. And I, mm. I'm really sorry, by the way, because that's really horrible. Thank you. Do you know what? It's very rare that someone says that to me during an interview. Really? Yeah. I think it's unfortunately one of those things that, like, I know a lot of my friends have been through, sim- had similar experiences mm. or things in, like, nightclubs. or it, so. I, and I'm, unfortunately, I think it's something that a lot of women relate to. So that's maybe why I say I'm sorry, because I've also been in, like, similar situations. And yeah. they're really, really horrible. I just wanted to know what, after the incident happened, what was your initial response? My initial response was, I'm quite like a, I was brought up in a really progressive household and I'm quite a gutsy person, I think, quite a brave person. It's one of the things I like about myself. But when I got the phone to them and the guy to them in the picture and they had everything, which just as a caveat is like what we put on women all the time to do and marginalised people were like, get, you know, what did you do wrong? You didn't get a picture, you didn't get the guy, you didn't get the evidence. We put so much pressure on and I got everything you could possibly get to the police. Um, and they, they said, oh, there's nothing we can do, you know, we can't really help you. I kind of turned to like a seven-year-old and I was like, oh, I guess you're right. Because I've just taught that that authority knows best. If they say they can't do it, well, I guess I'm in the wrong then. Like, I, I caused too much of a fuss or I kicked up a fuss. And it wasn't until I got home and I found a photo on my phone of me and my sister taking a selfie in that moment before they'd done it, like about 20 minutes before they'd done it to us. And they were just in the background, these guys, by chance, of this photo. And I found it when I got home, and I was like, oh, my God, I've got a picture of them. That's great. So I put it on social because I was like, well, police can't do anything, and I don't really know if the law can do anything. I'm not academic. I don't know how to look into that, but it seems like it can't. So I put it on social and said, can anyone find these guys? Like, tell me who they are. I just want them to feel some kind of... And it was a really immature post. It was literally me, me circling their heads and being like, share it around. I want them to be shamed in some way. I'm so bored of this this stuff happening and there being no repercussions for it. They didn't even get kicked out of the festival. They just carried on during the night. They still have the phones on their photos today, you know? So I put this picture up 
and everyone shared it like my family shared it my friends shared it my sister has a couple of influential friends in comedy she's a comedian and they kind of shared it and it went a little bit viral and then Facebook contacted me and said um, you're in breach of community guidelines that's harassment for you to put a photo up and then claim that someone has done something like that you can't do that on Facebook so they there was no repercussions for the photos they took of my crotch that they shared that they still have but I was the one harassing them and I think that's when I like my my mood changed from this oh I'm embarrassed and humiliated and oh guys should I shouldn't have caused the first to being like that's not right yeah like something like that's and I got really angry because it was like all the safety nets which are in place the police the um, law social media which was the last kind of bastion like democratic thing I could possibly use that would help just didn't help so I just got so angry at that point that's when it's kind of started it's like no one was there to make them take accountability yeah and it that was on you and so often is on the victim yes to sort of take either take accountability for the whole situation or try and make someone else take like yeah, the response yeah the responsibility always seems to be or not always that's a sweeping statement but the it does so often seem to be on the victim and i i really admire that you kind of took that stand and had that confidence is the wrong word but that kind of innate sense of no this is wrong like yeah. morally and justifiably this is wrong especially when everyone else is sort of telling you well there's nothing we can do it's hard to stand in those shoes and be like no I am right when yeah, everyone's like course. oh not and I don't know what I think honestly I think I was just angry like it's not a you know oh wow what a bold human like I was just really pissed off yeah and it was like if I don't do something about it I'm just going to explode with anger because it wasn't about the upscaling incident it was about all the incidents that have happened in my life it was about you know, at 16, not deciding not to walk under underpasses because it's safer for me to cross a busy road because I'm scared of what will happen in an underpass. It was about having my arse grabbed. It was about having a stalking case in uni against this guy. It was about my friends having dealing with stuff. It was just a culmination, I think. So it was just anger, really. It's like, some of these kids that this is happening to can't even vote. Yeah. Like, there's young, there was mess, thousands of messages from young girls in schools whose teachers had upskirted them, seven-year-olds, 12-year-olds. They can't even vote. But I can. So, like, I kind of have to do this. Like, let's try and... There's a, I have a massive amount of privilege to just like use that, you know? If you can, you've got to. Some and also can't. having friends and family, I guess, that like believed you, which is so important. Yes. And it's so amazing. Um, yeah, it's, some people don't don't have that. Don't have support systems. Yeah. yeah. And I, can, I can't imagine how sort of isolating that must feel. I mean, it's an isolating incident anyway yeah. to happen and then to sort of not have any solace or any form of support must just be like... Yeah, I can't imagine know? it. I'm so yeah. lucky that I'm not in that position. But also that you're then speaking on up on behalf of people who also don't have that. Yeah. I hope I'm doing well at it. You are. That's why <laughs> you're here. Hey <laughs> You're doing great. Thank <laughs> you, mate. You came on here for me to tell you. Yes. To get the validation. That's why I came. You're doing great. <laughs> um, I just wanted to know how... If there was any change in reaction from two years ago when this all happened and when you sort of started this and you posted about it to the reaction now. When I started posting about it, no no one was talking about it. It was six months before Me Too, so it was in July 2017. Me Too was October, November. And we just hadn't... There's two things here. Like, people always say to me, like, oh, you know, God, the campaign was so successful, blah, blah, blah. Like, with the intimation that that was a mistake... Like it was such a, it was such 
a heavily orchestrated campaign. I cannot tell you the work that went into the media strategy, not doing interviews for a week, meeting people at certain times. Like the strategy was unbelievable politically and media with this campaign. And people were always like, what an amazing time to launch a campaign, you know? You know, Me Too happened, blah, blah. Women have always been subjugated. Women have always been dealing with stuff. Marginalised people have always been dealing with stuff. But there was definitely an online social kind of sea change in the way we talked about stuff with the Me Too movement. And this was six months before. So actually, Me Too gave it this, put a fire hose behind it, really, six months in. But before that, that's why I think it captured people's imaginations because there was like, oh, this is probably the wrong phrase, but that's why I think people felt so passionate about it because it was like... Look at this thing that's happened. This is so annoying. Why are we normalising things? Why are we brushing these things off? I want to do something about it. I don't know what I'm doing, but will you just help me? Because I just need an army of people behind me to help me do this. And people were looking for, like I have been for the last 10 years, an opportunity to help and progress something positively. So there was a real positive feeling around it, but people just didn't know it was happening. And now I feel like the conversation has moved on so much in kind of the everyday assault sector, quote unquote, the kind of things that we deal with every day, the kind of sexual harassment, street harassment stuff. It's moved on so far since I was 25 when I, when I was upskirted. I'm not 28. The campaign was such a huge story. It was national news. It was one of the most read stories when it was objected to, all that kind of stuff. So we've educated a lot around that form of assault in a great way. So we've started a real cultural conversation because a law change doesn't actually change minds. The conversation changes yeah. minds, you know? And it did garner a huge media response. I even remember seeing it and it's like you said, I think there was this kind of frustration at the normalisation of everyday sexual assault. Like yeah. people would be talking in pubs about it or it, like in my uni lectures, we'd be talking about it. But I also went to like a very liberal art school. So mm. it was like, of course, we were going to be having these conversations. But this was the first time that in like a kind of mainstream media sense, I had really seen a, a campaign and a movement and something that targeted these kind of everyday, I'm putting in air quotes, everyday issues that women face because that's what they were seen as, just like everyday issues. Yes, like, totally. You know, on the tube, someone might like have a little grope and but whatever, like that's fine just before you... But that's like before you've even started your day. And like, what a complete failure if that's the bar. Like, how low is the bar? The bar is in the floor. Exactly, the literally. Like, raise the bar a bit. Like, <laughs> it's so annoying the amount of stuff that's normalised where you're like, yeah, but that's like the, the biggest thing I hear with every debate I have or every conversation I have is like, yeah, it's awful, but it's the way it is. Like, can we just remove that from our dictionary? Yeah. It is the way... Oh, dictionary. What? I have a dictionary at home that keep all my favourite phrases in. <laughs> my dictionary. My dictionary. Move that from our lexicon. Like, it is what it is. It's such a bullshit phrase. Yeah. If we just say that, then nothing changes. Yeah. Like, norm we're normalising so much negative shit, and I just want to normalise positive stuff. I want to normalise progression. I want to normalise innovation in the way we feel about social issues. We're just not doing that. Anger. You have to keep space for anger in these movements. Like, whether we're talking about anti-racism work or talking about gender inequality, like, people are angry. And they're right to be angry. You know, I'm angry about the fact that everyone I've met has had some some experience of sexual assault. I'm angry about the millions of young girls who are married off to, to grown men. I'm angry about sex trafficking. You're allowed to be angry about stuff because there's stuff to be angry about in the world. And I think we have to kind of keep and allow space for marginalised people or subjugated people to be angry because they're allowed to be. And as soon as we quell anger, actually just quelling anger is just silencing people. It's censoring people so that the system doesn't change because the system is working for, some, for a certain very small amount of people. And to, to kind of rock the boat is not comfortable for anyone. But the only things that are worth the happening are the uncomfortable conversations and changing things. And also no one's ever going to give you permission to rock the boat, obviously, because then it goes against the whole point. of <laughs> So you just, but you just have to allow that anger. Like even in conversations, in, in sexual feminist conversations that I'm in a lot as a white woman, 
like there's lots and lots of women of colour and black women who are very angry. There's lots of people in marginalised genders that are very angry. And, it, and I don't sit there and go, well, I can't believe you're angry. This makes me feel uncomfortable. It's like, well, absolutely, you're fair enough. You know, you're, you're dealing with something every day. And let's not forget either the people who are dealing with the oppression from a situation or a structure are the ones who are forced to deconstruct on their own. And having to deconstruct a complex structure that you have to learn about and try and do on your own while dealing with the everyday oppression of something is such a crap thing to be dealing with. So of course people are angry. Yeah, Yeah. and I think we should support that anger because anger can actually be a great motivator. Um, I was wondering when you... At what point did you feel like this was something that needed to be moved over to, like, a legal sense? Okay, yeah. Um, the, the kind of turning point, I guess, came from... I did this social media campaign basically after the kind of uh, Facebook telling me to take the photo down and all that kind of stuff. I thought, OK, I need to look into the law here because surely this is illegal. I don't know why I thought that. I've got no academic background, no political background. I'm so... I scraped by in school. So I don't know how that kind of thought came into my head or why. I guess I was just looking for some kind of answer. But I messaged a friend who was a law student. She she looked into the law really, really um, comprehensively and she kind of sent me, without me even asking, she's the best, she's called Tasha, she sent me this kind of one-pager where she'd like written out exactly as the law was. And she got back in touch and said, yeah, you're absolutely right, there's this massive gap there, which you've kind of stumbled over. And I don't know how you found it, but basically there's a massive gap there and what you thought was was the case is the case so then I kind of had this one pager and I was like well this is really interesting and that kind of simmered away marinated in my head but never really put any weight on it like oh I can change that and I started doing this social campaign saying why isn't this a sexual offence and going on um, I did some, a lot of TV stuff but I kind of packaged up the numbers from social like the viral numbers of that post and kind of went to producers and TV and said look how many people are interested in this there's your audience let's have that conversation and I kind of wanted them to have the conversation but then obviously they were like will you come on and I was like well I sort of don't want to because I don't really want to be the face. Because like, no, right? Not that I, I'm, I'm thankful for the love and I'm thankful for the opportunity and I'm glad I got to change the law. But like, I will always be the upskirting girl now. And like, mm. it is a very personal thing. Like, the photos are still out there. They could easily just release them. I don't, you know, I've had to think about all these things, and I didn't really want to be the face of it. But then it was very immediately obvious that a human story is what motivates people. So I had to go on there, and the headline had to be "Victim tries to change the law," right? Because that's what will get people going. Um, so I did this TV stuff saying, why isn't it a sexual offence? And yeah, I guess I realised at that point when I started doing TV that I was shouting about an issue. I was doing an awareness campaign. I was going, just so you know, this isn't illegal. And I was shouting about an issue, but I was kind of just shouting at loads of people in the room and not getting clever or strategic about it. We need to change perceptions here. Like, There's some work to be done here because people still don't get that this is wrong. The The conversation was around like... You know, well, we'll just wear trousers if you don't want someone to take a photo of your vagina. Well, I did a debate on TV where a police officer, a female police officer, was like, the police have a lot to deal with. Like, they have terrorism to deal with. They don't care about pictures of your vagina. Like, wear trousers and shut up. I got, you know, rape threats for six months. I got um, guys just constantly, and unfortunately, I hate it, but it was all guys, but guys just constantly being like, uh, you know, this is like a tiny thing. Why would you want to change this? Why does it even matter? And it was like, okay, there's a real cultural collective kind of problem here. So that was when it was like, go to a, a lawyer, have a conversation, and try and actually get clever instead of just shouting about something you're angry about, you know? But also, surely, like, even if it is a quote-unquote tiny thing, it's representative of a much bigger societal issue, which I think sometimes people can get very caught up in the kind of uh, exact wording or the exact incident. Yeah. Um, But not kind of think that there's 
there's a meaning behind that and that is kind of yeah representative of how a lot of people exist in this and world yeah. yeah we forget we forget things as structural all the time it's we, we look a, at them as the act exactly. instead of a structural problem yeah. exactly it's part of a bigger uh feminist and equality issue but i mean i it's i think that's the same trope that happens with as soon as anyone speaks out about any form of inequality or discrimination people are like oh well, why are you you know like yeah. if someone at school is like oh well or you know like there's that whole thing in america where a lot of people uh women were being told and also actually here uh being told to, like take their braids out or yeah. whatever for work because yeah. it's unprofessional or you're not allowed to wear dreads and everything like that. it's not a big deal just change your hairstyle or whatever oh, like it's, it's and such it's short-sighted thinking that. yeah it's a it's it's representative of something bigger like yeah. and i just think that maybe we need some we need like campaigns like this and conversations are, are happening around these incidents to educate people on what that represents so that it's not just like I'm complaining about this one thing yeah. like it's <laughs> not about it. individual instances yeah exactly yeah and having those new and it's about nuance I think because everything's so binary so people just start to think in the binary like well that happens to so do this well that's wrong so that's right if you're having nuanced conversations people start to realize that things are far bigger than they first appear but we have to get to that point because none of these things will be solved if they're just like well why are you so angry about it just go home you're like okay right <laughs> thank you yeah. thank you it's really helpful i'll do that next time i'm actually time. feeling better yeah. i'm feeling really great now um but i think it's really important that you took that initiative to kind of change it from this awareness campaign to then oh almost like answering the question that you were asking yes, like yeah. answering the question that you were shouting about like why is this not illegal and, and then, then being I was like, like oh I I'll can... make it illegal <laughs> exactly that's literally what happened me and my team will make it illegal I actually googled like when I'd done the TV thing I came home and I was like how do I sat on my computer and was like how do you change a law like I googled it and like nothing came up obviously well, and I, I had did, to figure it out myself I did want to get into that because I think uh, that is something that I personally would find very intimidating uh, yeah. and I think oftentimes these conversations exist separately so conversations around like uh, sexual assault or, or uh, gender inequality kind of happen in a separate realm to then the legal yes, they do. issues which that isn't then me trying to undermine the whole sector of law that is like women's rights and like all these amazing charities doing such great work and legal work and helping women in the system um but it does seem like sometimes these conversations ha yeah, happen in a, in different realms. And I think you can even see that in videos of like, even just in videos of our parliament or like House of Commons. I'm not really a like law person, you know, it's not oh, yeah, really I mean, funny enough. My Same, actually, ironically same. <laughs> but that's what I find so amazing is that you took the initiative and you went into somewhere that I think would be intimidating for anyone to go into if they weren't already in it. Yeah, that was the hardest thing, I think. And and you're right to say that, like, the way we communicate about big social issues, which are human issues, which are emotional issues, we completely communicate them separately to the practical element, which is how we change them, how we solve things and how we progress, whether that's politics or that's law or that's human rights. And I think part of that problem, I genuinely believe, is that the traditional institutions in which law and politics exist are so 
undiverse and unemotional and sanitized that it doesn't even feel the same world as a conversation with women around their subjugation and what they're dealing with and, and sexual assault. It feels like so far removed. So trying to bridge the gap between those two, which is what I tried to do, you know, working with politicians who, you know, I don't feel comfortable around. The House of Parliament is like Hogwarts on crack and everyone's from Eton. I don't understand that world at all. And to caveat that, that's me feeling like that as a kind of working class, but, you know, kind of jumped up to middle class really in my job, white woman. So I can't imagine what it feels like to go in there as, you know, a disabled black woman below the poverty line trying to change something. But it's a very difficult space to be in these kind of practical spaces. And even in law, my lawyer, Ryan, is just by chance... The, the most unjaded, young, passionate lawyer. But, you know, these people are very academic and I didn't feel comfortable with them and I didn't... And the imposter syndrome was off the charts, like I can't tell you. Um, but I kind of had to try and build that bridge because I was really... I'm really good at motivating people and I'm really good, I think, at speaking about things and, and you know, activating young women. And so if I have that talent or that skill then it was like I need to take that and bring that into parliament and get people angry and put pressure on politicians I was kind of activating young women and getting them to be angry at the system and then going into parliament being like look how angry they all are you better change something <laughs> if I can do that if I can bridge that gap between politicians and young people I should be doing that because there is no trust in that relationship at all um, and it was very intimidating and it was very scary and I didn't know what I was doing for the first six months of it um, and, you know, there was a million times where I wanted to not do it anymore. And I was in the bath crying and my boyfriend would, like, pick me out and put me on the sofa because it was too hard. And, you know, it was horrible. But it's, it feels like an obligation, I think, for me at times. It feels like, unless I'm part of some kind of change in this, I don't really know what I'm doing. And action is the cure for fear as well. Like, I'm so scared of things. But if I, if I work on them... Sorry, I'm crying now. <laughs> Just so we all know. I'm going to snort. Um... If I push to try and change things, I it it gets rid of some of the fear because I think we're all quite paralysed by the things we want to change. So if I force myself to be part of that change, it really gets rid of that fear. And it's not a scare anymore because you're part of the positive movement. So I, I think for me it was also kind of closure, I think too, like the most elaborate form of closure you can ever get. <laughs> I'm going to change the law. But it was. Do you think that the support that you got from uh, the campaign and from people who got in contact with you did that help with your confidence then going into the legal side yeah I, it really did the public support was really helpful because I think you can have the best idea in the world that's an obvious no-brainer and like we should obviously it should not be legal to take non-consensual photos of people's genitals like that's a no-brainer but you can have the best idea and if you're doing it on your own you will probably always doubt yourself because you're gonna have to go into situations that are hard you're gonna have to be super resilient every single day you're gonna have to put aside all the you know worry about the work you know how you show up what you sound like how you look whatever so there's always going to be doubts however good your idea is unless you surround yourself with people who believe in the idea or are doing similar work so it was really important when I got um, a lot of the support especially from the legal side from Ryan he was just a great ally and like you need that you can have the best idea in the world but you know unless you're like Kanye West who's the most confident person in the world you probably won't think that idea is is fully valid until someone else validates it for you and i don't think there's shame in that if you're if you're strong enough to start it you just need to push along the way like we all need cheerleaders in our life all of, of us do and it really helped having that i want to talk a bit about activism mhm and the vulnerability within that and whether you find it 
tricky at some points because you were saying like you speak a lot about it but it still is obviously something that happened to you Mm -hmm. so how do you kind of cope with being so vulnerable about something that happened to you and speaking about it on a wider platform it's a really good question I've actually never been asked it before um I was brought up to see vulnerability and emotion as like a real strength in our family like my dad's a very very emotionally open person my mom is you know when I first came on period they basically always threw me a party um (laughs) like amazing family that like um, we are so connected to our emotions as a family like how I feel is what I'll say, and I and I and we feel we think about and we work through stuff as a family, and everything was a conversation. So I'm really privileged in that regard uh, to have a super healthy relationships with my parents and my family, and have these really open communications. So I kind of do just innately see vulnerability as a strength and, and emotion as a strength, regardless of gender, regardless of person. And I would like to have seen more of it growing up, and to see more of it now in mainstream media with people I look up to, um, and so. I'm kind of proud of how vulnerable I've been, I think, in this process. Like, I'm proud it hasn't made me harder, you know, because it, it could have very easily, because it was a very difficult space to be in and, and a very unemotional space. Politics is very unemotional. But I was ping-ponging between media where I was on the news and they were saying, how do you feel about the pictures, blah, 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 blah. You know, and you're crying on the news and then you have to ping-pong to this the most unemotional place that probably has ever existed, which is Westminster. Very unforgiving as well. Super like, unforgiving. Oh my God, the videos you see of them shouting at each other, I'm like, it's, fuck it It's a really heavy place. Often women's emotions uh, are sort of used against them or it's seen as an, a negative. It's yeah. seen as a, oh, these hysterical women or, you know, women in the house of, like, if someone was to be crying in the House of Commons... Oh my god, I did. I had a meeting with the Ministry of Justice and I literally was crying. And like I said the phrase, which is so lame, to, to in the Ministry of Justice with like the Justice Minister and all these amazing people. I was like, my heart can't take anymore, and I was crying <laughs> because we had so many like setbacks, and I was like crying. But it, I was kind of like embarrassed, and then I was like, well, maybe it's a good thing that they can actually no, see some emotion. <laughs> I think it's great because it is. It's so often kind of used against women or yeah to delegitimise them. Yes, exactly, yeah. to kind of like derail whatever they're saying and undermine them and I think to actually stand there and be like no this is something that I feel emotional about and that many other people feel emotional about and that you should also feel emotional yes. about because also I think the thing about emotion is that it spreads and vulnerability is something that is quite uh, people can be quite empathetic to and quite sympathetic to yeah. and I think that would probably help with the campaign and having other people did, yeah. be like shit yeah I've also cried in a, in a bathroom about something that's happened to me like yes exactly and that, that it it kind of provides that sense of relatability and i think that's something that you've done really really well with the whole campaign and your activism as a whole so oh, thank you. so i wanted to talk next about your book yeah what was that process like and Horrific. how did <laughs> <laughs> How did you go about? You're like changing law isn't actually yeah, enough. I, wrote a book I want to also write a book. <laughs> Literally. Well, the process was horrific. It's incredibly hard to write a book. Turns out, I've been a freelance writer for a long time. I've written lots of long form pieces for lots of online publications and in print. Writing a book is very, very different. I thought it'd just be story. like a long feature. It wasn't. Um, I decided to do it in kind of the January when I knew the law was going to change. Um, and I knew it was all going to go just bonkers. So I was like, okay, I want to write something that is 
the book I would have needed at the beginning. So something that's like super accessible about the the potential for changing things and that regular people can talk about amazing activists, how they did it, what the kind of traits they had that were really useful were, um, why now's the time with the birth of social media and the internet and the kind of political um, unrest that's going on. It's just like a really supportive place to start and I just needed to write that because it was like everything I went to and put my hand on just felt so not me. It felt so not human. It felt so dry and so scary. So it was kind of just writing an accessible place to start, really, and, and like a launch pad for people that is going to be supportive as they go along with whatever they're kind of trying to change. So it's like where you fell out, kind of blindly stumbling. Yeah, it's all the things I've learned as yeah. like a really scared, to freaked then out person. Give to other people to be like, here are the tools. Between, you know, changing laws and <laughs> writing books. <laughs> Do you have any spare time? And what do you do with that spare time to kind of relax and debrief from this quite, like, heavy at times stuff? That's a good question. Uh, I don't have a lot of time, really. My life's changed kind of exponentially in the past sort of year, well, since April. And, you know, the law change finished, but, you know, I do a lot of workshops, schools, do speaking, I do lots of writing, I do lots of brand work, I do lots of consulting, blah, blah. So there's, like, a lot going on. But, um... That's exciting in itself. I'm lucky to be busy. It's hard, but I love the work. But <clears throat> to relax, I'm not a very... I'm probably... I'm in very, I'm in high contrast to my work, I think, as we just saw, because I actually just left the podcast recording, walked into a glass door, by the way, everyone listening. Um, I'm sort of a bit of an, a knobhead as a person. Like, I'm, I, take, I don't take myself seriously at all. Um, I have, you know, a great partner... We just, we've been together seven years. He, we're just best mates. Like, everything outside of my work is quite, like, humorous and fun, and I have to do that because the work is quite heavy. Um, me and Geordie, my boyfriend, my partner, have uh, a tortoise called Gar- Gary Tortellini. She's a girl. I won't be taking any questions. Um, she's incredible, and we rescued her, and we just, I have a very, very simple life where I just, like, read and paint and play drums and watch TV and wrestle with Geordie pretty much and just like cook and drink wine and have a laugh like I just I'm so lucky with the people in my life now and the work's so hard but it's made so much easier by being surrounded by people who just don't make me feel about silly about being too loud and walking into doors don't make me feel silly about caring too much about the world don't make me feel silly about struggling with the work you know they're just there to for whatever I need and and I think we all need that like it's really it's really your support system is everything. And if you don't have it, online's a great place to find it as well. But also, I, I really like uh, what you said about there's a bit of a juxtaposition between your personality and your kind of home life and, like, your social life versus your work. And I think it's a really important lesson to kind of learn and remember that you can hold the two in tandem. Yes. Like, you can do very serious work or you can be changing laws and you can be in these spaces but you can also be yourself and be silly and be fun and it doesn't kind of devalue it's a bit like what we were saying earlier about being emotional it doesn't Mm. devalue the worth of you or your work um so lastly what tough topics do you think need to be talked about or discussed going forward structural racism love it like like, i can't like i'm disappointed by the amount of people who look like look like me who aren't not talking about structural racism because, you know, don't talk about it really, just, like, listen, but people who aren't, like, interested and aren't making it a priority. Like, we, we can't have feminism without conversations around racism. They're literally one and the same. They're the two sides of the same coin. And I'm very bored 
of the narrative of feminism being only through girls who look like me. And I know that sounds ironic because I'm out here doing it, but I'm really trying with my platform and what I'm doing to like pass the mic. My audience is lots of white young women. So I have a, an access there that I should be using to talk to, you know, get them interested or get them listening to people who've been doing anti-racism work and who are talking about difficult conversations in the race realm, who've been doing it for a long time, who maybe they wouldn't have come across otherwise. I can be that bridge for them. Uh, give up my Instagram stories, get people to come on there and, and, and teach my followers. So that's the biggest thing for me. I think if we can get the conversation, if we can get white people talking about, or if we can get white people listening to people about race in a in a, in a open non-defensive non way, yeah. I think we'll be doing a lot of work. And if we can get people to care about things that don't directly affect them, I think we're, we're, we're away. But, so, yeah. There's this idea that you, you have to care about one thing or that, you know, if you care about one thing, it means you don't care about the other. Like, we're, we're capable of caring about multiple things at once <laughs> and learning many things yeah. at once, you know, and, like and for, we should be doing that. That's where the intersection is. Exactly. Layers, like an onion. Oh my god, onion Many feminism is my favourite feminism. Fever. <laughs> Coined it. <laughs> um, tell everyone your socials and where they can find you if they're not already following you. You can find me you can find me on Instagram at Gina Martin, G-I-N-A-M-A-R-T-I-N, or you can find me on Twitter at Gina Martin UK. Um, or you can find me, most importantly, out in the world doing stuff so come to my socials and then be like cool pics nice flares but then like look at the actual events I'm doing and like come and have a chat and get in the room because that's where the change happens <laughs> cool pic nice flares I mean I'm like a Trojan horse I'm like look at the paint look at the pink have you thought about this issue like but also find me speaking here on yeah. this panel um well, thank you so much for joining us. That was a really insightful talk. Um, and thank you to Doc Martins yes. for giving us the space to talk about these important topics. Um, and thank you so much for listening. Yeah.